Hey, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and it's early. It's early in the morning. Uh, we're pushing... Uh, right now, it's it's uh, quarter after six. I've been up for a little while. been trying to record this episode. My allergies are destroying me. My goodness, we live in North Carolina. This is our second allergy season here. And uh, it is bonkers. Like, it is off the charts insane. Uh, It is like a green haze outside. There is pollen everywhere. Like, when you go outside and you breathe, you can feel, like, flakes in the air. Like, it's disgusting. My wife has a white car. It's, like, green. The other day I was riding with my windows open in my car, and there was, like, green powder on my dashboard. Like, it is ridiculous, the amount of pollen in the air and I have allergies and I've you know had them all my life but usually I take like I don't know um Allegra or something like that and it's just like you know done the allergies are fine nothing I've taken Allegra multiple times a day uh Flonase multiple times a day um any, anything you can think of that is supposed to help with allergies I've taken it and I still look listen to my voice right my voice I bleh, it is so bad um, it is so bad. So anyway, <coughs> oh my goodness, so sorry. I don't think I'm going to edit that out. I think I'm just going to be super real with you. In this episode, if I start coughing, I start coughing. So um, anyway, allergies are here and it is it is what it is. Uh, this is episode number 38 of the podcast, uh, part seven of our series called God's Not Mad. And uh, this is the final installment of the series. We're going to be bringing... Uh, the series to a close this week. It's been fun. Uh, we've been doing this for the season of Lent. And uh, basically, the series was was birthed out of uh, Brian Zahn's book, which is called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. I read it in January, and I was like, ooh, this, this book is good. I need to share this with my what-if people. And so I, I basically every week, I've been taking an idea from that book and exploring uh, what I would call like the spiderweb of ideas that that theme has created in my heart and my mind and then and then sharing those things with you um, and kind of using this as a place to process through some ideas. And so I hope that it's encouraged you, inspired you a little bit. Um, I hope that it's made you uh, maybe think differently and maybe more deep um, about who God is and the character of, of God. It's, it's been great. Halfway through, we talked to Brian Zahn, the author, uh, so go back. If you're going to listen to an episode, definitely go back and listen to that episode if this is your first one. Um, it was super duper great. Um, Brian talked to us about all different sorts of things, and um, I think that you will definitely benefit from that. Uh, we're just going to jump right into this thing today because I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to start gagging in a little while with these allergies. I don't know what's going on. My, I don't know if my nose is itching. I could sneeze at any moment. Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be a wild, wild adventure together today. So um, episode 38, I'm calling this Honest Thoughts About the Bible. Honest Thoughts About the Bible. And I wanted to start off with a quote from the book. Um, and I want to read that to you. Let me see if I can find it. Ah, here it is. Okay, so it is such a ludicrous notion, Brian says, that the God who is love would of his own volition inflict torment upon people eternally. 
This idea is so ridiculous that it is either hilarious or horrendous. The notion that God, out of personal offense and infinite spite, inflicts eternal torture upon his wayward children is completely incompatible with the revelation of God in Christ. Being saved includes being saved from believing in a malicious God. So, like I said, final week of the series, and I wanted to start off with this quote because I think it captures something that is of vital importance. And I've mentioned it before on the project. Um, I think I've woven to this idea through pretty much every episode. There was even an episode that was really focused heavy in on this idea, but I think it's I think it's worth repeating again and again and again, especially as we leave Lent, uh, we enter into a new season um, and we close out this series. So toward the end of the quote, Zahn says that the notion that God inf- inflicts eternal torture on his wayward children is completely incompatible with the revelation of God in Christ. This is one of the biggest places where I think I bump heads with my old uh, tribe of people. People that I would call um, literal readers of the Bible, uh, maybe fundamental uh, Christians, or maybe you can even say some evangelical Christians, uh, many of whom take the Bible word for word um, and treat those words as if every verse in every chapter of every book is on the very same level playing field as all of the others. Sometimes I'll talk to these people, whether it be verbally, whether it be on Facebook, uh, whatever, and I'll share something about Christ, like how he invited everybody to the table. You know, Nobody was turned away from the table. No one was told to change their life before they sat down at the table. No one was outcast. No one was pushed away. Everybody everywhere had a place at Jesus's table, right? And I'll toss around ideas like that along with uh, stories from the Bible that spell out uh, verbatim these ideas. And each and every time, I'm like inevitably met with someone who will have an argument that um, like, although Jesus did that, God did this, right? And they'll bombard me with this like slew of Old Testament verses and even some New Testament verses where biblical writers and especially prophets seem to condemn sinners, declare them to be cut off from God's blessings, hone in on judgment, fire, and destruction for the wicked. And for them, it's as if these words from biblical writers, since they're in the Bible, they somehow trump the words of Jesus. For these literalist, fundamentalist, whatever, readers of the Bible, the quote, wicked, referred to by the biblical writers, for them it becomes people who just don't believe in Jesus. Or people who don't believe in the same ways that they do. And for them, the fact that some Old Testament passage seems to condemn these wicked people, then gives them to write the right to outcast, judge, and threaten those same people with fire and destruction, right? Like Muslims are going to hell. Only Christians like me go to heaven. Atheists have no hope. Only those who believe in Jesus, like me, have hope. LGBTQ people will be condemned. Only straight people like me are acceptable in God's eyes. Turn or burn. It's not God's fault you're headed for hell. It's yours. You had the chance to believe. 
Now, this might all sound incredibly judgmental and incredibly mean on my part, and maybe it is, but I'm saying it as bluntly as I am because I used to be that kind of a Christian, okay? Uh, I was a, quote, literalist, uh, maybe even a fundamentalist, an over-the-top evangelical who firmly believed a thousand percent that God has a bone to pick with humanity, and Jesus took the punishment for me, right? I memorized all the verses about hell, all the passages about God's wrath. I had a memory bank full of stories about God's disgust with humanity, and I could pull out all of those things at a moment's notice, insert them into any discussion, and come out the other side having proved my point that God is ticked off at the world. But here's the thing. I'll just say this without beating around the bush. I no longer think that way. I no longer think that every passage or every verse or every chapter in the Bible sits on the same level playing field as the next. Right? Like, for example, I don't think that Paul's letters are on the same uh, level as Jesus' words. I don't think that the prophets are on the same level as Jesus' teachings. And I realize that's probably not a very popular opinion with a lot of Christians, but that's where I stand right now. In other words, I don't think that Isaiah's words or Ezekiel's words or whatever other Old Testament prophet you want to pick, Moses, David, Jeremiah, I don't think they're on the same level as Jesus' words. And like I said a few episodes back, um, I don't think that we can cite some biblical writer, no matter how big or popular he may be, in order to shut Jesus up. For example, I don't think we can quote Elijah's anger to silence Jesus' love. Like, I can't point to that one time when Elijah called down fire from heaven uh, in 1 Kings on the prophets of Baal uh, as justification for my own outcasting of someone who believes differently than me, or as justification for my own fiery and burning words towards another person. Why? Because when Jesus' disciples asked him to take a page out of Elijah's book, and called down fire from heaven on the Samaritans, who were a group of people that the Jews hated, Jesus refused. And he chose to model and live a different way instead. And so these kinds of polar opposites tell me that the words of Elijah the prophet and the words of Jesus the Messiah are not on the same playing field. Jesus and his words and his way of doing things are much greater and much higher than Elijah and his words and his ways of doing things. And I said this a few weeks back, and I stand by it. Jesus preached and lived a life of love and grace and forgiveness and inclusion for all people everywhere. Nobody was turned away. No one was excluded. And so as we flip through our Bibles in search of a, a verse or a passage that, that seemingly gives us the right to outcast the, quote, other, well, then we're using the Bible in a sick twisted, anti-Christ, and satanic way. That is not at all what the Bible is for. And so with that in mind, I'm convinced that we've got to rework the way that we use and we read this book, this Bible. And I'm going to drop probably down the road, maybe like late fall, maybe early 2020, I think a whole series on reading the Bible. Uh, but for now, I just want to share with you one simple observation about reading the Bible in conjunction with following a God who's not mad. And this has been an idea that I've been thinking about for a while. 
And it's really kind of revolutionized the way that I read the Bible or have read the Bible uh, over this past this past year. Now, we often read the Old Testament in the letters of Paul as if they're like the stuff that mature, real Christians can read and apply. Because, you know, the Old Testament and the words of Paul, they're filled with the hard teachings, right? And those are things that we've got to drive home in this wayward world, right? The world needs to hear the harsh words, we say, right? The word, the world needs hard truth. It's up, it's up to us as God's chosen warriors to, to share those things that are clearly stated in the Bible, right? His word, capital T, truth. And so we elevate the words of the Old Testament prophets, along with the words of Paul and others. And we move Jesus and his word to, to the back burner, as if his stuff is for less mature, grown-up Christians. Right? The prophets are like the major leagues. Jesus is the minor leagues. Paul is for adult Christians. Jesus is for, for the children. Right? We consume Paul, we fill up on the prophets, and then we go and read Jesus through the lens of the things that we took away from the words and the letters of Paul and the prophets. But, but dare I say, I think we've got it backwards, right? Because when we lessen Jesus's words in order to magnify the words of the prophets or of Paul or whoever, we often come away having created or painted a picture of a God who is a monster, a God who sends down fire on people he doesn't like, like the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and 1 Kings. A God who could at any moment command genocide on innocent people like he did for Joshua in the book of Numbers. A God who destroys the world because he's fed up with it, like the story of Noah's Ark in Genesis. And I've come to a place in my faith where, in my understanding of the Bible, where I think that instead of reading the words of Jesus through the lens of Paul and the prophets, I think we've got to flip it. And I think we've got to read the words of Paul and the prophets through the lens of Jesus. Through the lens of his words, his actions, his teachings. And if we come away from our reading of the Bible with a picture of God that is any different than what we see in Jesus and in the way in which he lived his life on earth, then our reading of the Bible is wrong. And I think we've got to go back to the drawing board and read it again. You see, if we come away from, from uh, reading the Bible and we see a particular verse or passage or story as like ammunition that we can load into our spiritual guns and tanks that we shoot at, uh, that we shoot when we used to run over the lives and beliefs of, and stories and struggles of other human beings, then we're the ones with the problem, not them. We're the ones who are mishandling this book. And, and here's something to think about. Here's something, this is, this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go here right now. Here's something to think about. This is almost like a, maybe a, I would call it like a brain exercise for you. Uh, Paul and the prophets, remember, they never met Jesus. Think about that. Paul, the Apostle Paul and the prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. There's his allergies again. Uh, Paul and the prophets never met Jesus. And for Paul, the Gospels weren't even written at the time that he wrote his letters. 
His letters to the churches in Galatia, Philippi, Corinth, etc., they were written well before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John penned their gospel letters. And so although Paul might have had the verbal influence of the apostles, of the disciples, of various other people who physically spent time with Jesus and would end up writing these gospels, he never had the opportunity that we know of to meet Jesus for himself. He never had the opportunity to read the gospels that you and I have access to, and therefore he might not have had the most complete picture of who Jesus was, what he did. Heck, in all of Paul's letters, in all of Paul's writings, he never wrote about the birth of Jesus, and he never mentioned the teachings or parables of Jesus. Did he know the stories? Uh, Did he know the teachings? Probably, but for whatever reason, he never even so much as hinted at them. Now, That's not to say that the Holy Spirit was not involved in the writing. That's not to say that Paul's words aren't important. If you're about to email me, yell at me, stop. Okay, the Holy Spirit was involved. Paul's letters are of vital importance. What I'm saying, though, is that Paul's words and the words of the Old Testament prophets, in my opinion, are not on the same playing field as the words of Jesus. They are biblical. They are part of this thing we call God's word. They are important. They are foundational. They are key. They are necessary, but they are not the same. And they aren't the same because when we read them without having the words of and life of Jesus side by side with them, we often come away with a picture of God that is far different than the one we see in Jesus. So read the prophets, read Paul, consume them, sit with them, meditate on them, yes, but do so with the life and words of Jesus at the forefront of your heart and your mind. Jesus is the word of God, not the Bible. The Bible contains letters and writings and poems and stories of people who span the course of thousands of years. They're all on a journey in understanding who God is, what God is like, how God acts, and and how God moves forward in the world. It's a journey that, that reaches its climax in the life and the teachings of Jesus, right? Jesus is the face of God. He is what God has to say. And sometimes I think that when we read, when we read the Bible, we've almost got to read it backwards, Start with the stories of Jesus and then read into the rest of the Bible so that we can get a more clear grasp on what God has to say and who God is. Right? Start with Jesus and then work from there. Like Zahn said in, in the quote, part of being saved is being saved from the idea that God is angry, mad, malicious, and ready to take aim uh, with divine lightning bolts at anyone and everyone who crosses him wrong, believes wrong, or behaves wrong. Again, Zahn says the notion that God, out of personal offense and infinite spite, inflicts eternal torture upon his wayward children is completely incompatible with the revelation of God in Christ. As Zahn said elsewhere in the book, Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is what God has to say. And so if our picture of God is different than the picture of Jesus that we have in the Gospels, then our picture of God is wrong. Right? It needs updating, it needs tweaking, it needs reworking. And I think that's really the season of life that I'm in. Um, I've put forth considerable energy here at the What If Project to really publicly update my view of God. Um, I spent years at my old blog, uh, which is no longer live, morningencouragement.com, uh, publicly sharing what I used to believe about God. And so I think it's only fair and right and good to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and show the wrestling match that's going on in my heart and and in my mind 
um, about my 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 beliefs and my walk and kind of what I think about what I think about God. And, and for a long time, I believed in a God who I now realize wasn't represented very well in the person of Jesus. I believed in a God who was angry. I believed in a God who was full of wrath and anger, a God who was exclusive, who cast people away. Um, I believed in a God who gave up on people. But as I began to study the life of Jesus and I've gotten to know his work in my life and in the lives of people around me, I began to realize that Jesus was a poor reflection of my angry God who cast people away into eternal torture. And so I began to rethink things, update things, openly share different conclusions I've been coming to. And all that to say, I don't think God's mad, right? God's not mad. I'm unsure of a lot of things, but that's one thing I'm pretty much a thousand percent sure of. The God of the Bible, as represented and reflected in the life of Jesus, is not mad, never was mad, and never will be mad. And so as we leave this series behind, um, and you go about your own day, the rest of your week, month, and year, um, here is my, uh, I don't know, maybe my, my benediction for you. In my old life as a pastor, um, every Sunday at the end of a service, I'd have to stand in the middle um, of the stage area and kind of extend my arms out and give a, a benediction or a blessing to the congregation as they left the doors and they went about their, their week. So consider this, um, my benediction to you. Imagine me sitting in front of my computer or maybe in front of uh, sitting here with you and my arms right now are extended uh, wide open. My hands are um, open and uh, I am leaving you with a blessing from the Lord today. Uh, so here you go. May you uh, run. May you run to your loving creator today. May you fall into the open arms of the divine today. And may you find great rest, great peace, and great comfort in the presence of of the Christ for all of the rest of your days. Amen. Thank you, my friends. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, this seven-part series uh, for Lent, God's Not Mad. I have learned a lot. I hope you have learned a lot as well. Um, if you have not already listened, go back a few episodes uh, listen to this series. Let it challenge you. Let it inspire you. Let it spark new ideas in your heart and your mind about the great God that we have. Much love to you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.